If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn uh, to, to Matthew. Uh, that's, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be there for a few minutes, but Matthew chapter 11 is where I'm eventually going to end up. And um, obviously the thought today is that, is that for what you're looking for, the, the title says the answer is not in yourself. It, what you're looking for, what we've been talking about over the last weeks um, is that it, you're not going to find it in, inside. Um, and you're not going to find it in, in the things that you seek for. That's, that's what this series has been all about. You know, when I, when I titled it The Strength to Overcome, I knew it was going to be a few weeks for peop- before people would really understand and catch on where I'm going. And we started off with the Solomon thought, right? And we started off with Solomon being, uh, obviously being, being a guy who was doing real well, very content in being king and being in his relationship with the Lord and who God called him to be. I don't know, it's pretty amazing to me. And, but then he decided to start trying to fill those empty places in his life with stuff. And, and he was amazed. He was amazed at what he saw. He recorded what he found in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he became very fatalistic. He became very depressed. He became, because he was trying to fill his life with things that didn't have what it, take, it took to really come through in here. And so, and so what basically happened was is that he, every once in a while, every few verses, he would say, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, which basically means meaningless. It's not, it didn't have what it takes. So I don't know. And then he got down to where he says, and then I hated life. And so there's got to be more. You were created for more. And that's why when it's not there, there's this discontent that takes over and it really pushes people. uh, Sometimes into some real bad decisions uh, or at least to try things that they thought they would never try before just to find some sort of a, of a sense, right, of, of contentment or, or happiness or whatever you want to call it. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. So, so we've, we, we've talked about these beatitudes, and these beatitudes are a picture of that, okay? They are a picture of, uh, of, of if you will, strength to overcome, because what happens is the things that we try out to kind of fill those places it's amazing how easy it is to be addicted to something. And, um, and because what happens is you have it, and it's pretty cool for a while, but then after a while, you don't have it, it begins to have you. And it doesn't have that same, it doesn't have that same fit anymore, it doesn't have that same feel, and yet, and yet now it has you, and it just is an incredible thing. So again, we'll, we'll talk about this, but the Beatitudes really are that look. Uh, a road to contentment, if you will, but it even goes beyond that of understanding what that is. And so you'll see, you'll see in the, in the last two weeks, uh, we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. The last two weeks have been about becoming aware of something. And you're finding out, and it's going to be definitely today, you're finding out that, that, um, that it's the exact opposite of what the world says around you. you find, you're finding out that, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that even mean? Well, you have to, you have to understand. It is so easy to be blind to yourself. The easiest person to fool is yourself. We looked at King David, and here was a guy who, who was... Who, who was a guy who loved God and wanted to serve God, but he got off track. And for a whole year, what he did didn't even bother him. He was blind to himself. And yet when someone confronted him with a story, of some, a fictitious story of somebody that did something similar, he got angry and produced a harsh judgment. When in reality, he couldn't even see it in himself. Guys, the easiest person to fool is yourself. The easiest person not to be able to see it is yourself. We have a, it's a lot easier to see it in others, but it's real hard to see it in ourselves. So it is a, it is a gift, a painful gift, but a gift nonetheless for to be able to, to see yourself. Know thyself, I think is the philosophical term. Either way, if you can ever take a look and get a good look at who you are, it, it, is, it is an incredible thing to be able to see but to see, too, that the Scriptures teach us that blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, all of us are that way because the Scriptures teach us that all of us are sinners. But the picture here is not just blessed are those who are poor in spirit, but it's blessed are those who can actually see it. Because those who see it, those who see it then will go somewhere to do something about it. That's why we talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector story, the parable that Jesus told. You had the religious guy, right, who was all confident in his own religiosity, right? But he was blind to his own bankruptcy. And he just stood in the temple praying, talking about himself. But then you had this tax collector who was morally bankrupt, and he knew it. He came to God kind of as a, Last resort, like, Lord, I got no hope. You see, being bankrupt, if you ever see it, it is what drives you to, to find grace and mercy from who God is. So actually, the scripture, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. At least blessed are those who are able to see it. That's why I call it a gift. It's a painful gift, but it's an incredible gift. It's an eye-opening thing. It's like, wow, I've been blind to that all my life. How that? I mean, it's an incredible thing. So that was last. The, the second week was last week. Blessed are those who mourn. So in other words, when you see that you're bankrupt, it'll bother you. The Bible calls that repentance. Lord, I know that's who I am. But that is not who I want to be. Does that make sense to you? So as we're walking through these Jesus has got a powerful statement here that he's making. And the hard part about doing these is it takes me several weeks to explain it all to you. So if you miss, if you miss make sure you catch online or catch it because if you miss kind of a step that they begin to get, you don't begin, they don't make sense. But when you start think, thinking about things like in the weeks to come, today we're going to talk about blessed are the meek, okay? But then in the weeks to come, blessed are the pure in heart, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. How do those things happen? They don't happen unless you follow the ones before. So we have this seeing who you really are, being mourning over it, all right? And that's what he said, but it's, it's a desire to, well, I had, you know, I, 
had no idea. You know, I have to be honest. Is most people I bump, bump into, if you ask them the question, you know, what makes a person right with God? And they'll start telling you a whole lot of things that you do. And, and then if you ask them if they're right with God, the response you're going to get is, well, yeah, I'm a lot better than most everybody. It's because they're blind to themselves. Even sometimes people who go by the name Christian, but they're blind, like the Pharisee. Pharisee was a religious guy who thought he was right with God. But Jesus was clear in that parable that he went home not right with God. It's an incredible thing when you begin to see it. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We'll go ahead and, and, and go ahead and take a step further. What do you mean they'll inherit the earth? Well, it's real easy to explain. We'll go ahead and tell you about it because we'll, 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 we'll talk about it at the very end. But I'd like for you to understand what we're talking about. Who, who owns the earth? God does, right. So if God owns the earth, if, if those blessed are the meek, if, if that, that is those who become his, then obviously they'll inherit what their father owns. Too early? Y'all still adjusting to doing too early? All right. So, blessed are the meek, and they're going to inherit the earth. So, what does it mean to be meek? Now, that's, now that's the question. Okay? That's the question. Because most of the time, it has a negative, con meekness has a negative connotation to it. But so many don't understand. They, they say, oh, that's preposterous, blessed are the meek. Because when you look up in Webster's Dictionary, depending on which edition you look up, uh, the definition of meekness is, is basically a lack of courage and self-confidence. Well, self-confidence is probably not a bad definition. And this is really going to be against what the world tells you that you need to be. We are steady trying real hard to train our children. I'm not saying us, maybe us, but our culture, our educational system. We're trying real hard to, to, to instill, you know, basically a, a self-confidence, which again, you say, well, Jeff, that's not all bad, is it? Well, I want you to think about this. Is... When you look at the definition of, of meek, therefore, what does, it, what does it mean? What does it mean here in what Jesus is talking about? Well, the best, huh, the best way to explain it, and I shared it to, with you last week, just as we ended to kind of give you a commercial for today. And I talked to you about, about horses, right? And I... Um, and it, and it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Now, present your bodies, that is, present who you are to him as a living sacrifice. Therefore, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. I want that to sink in for a minute. I'm already going to tell you that today is going to go against everything that the world around you is trying to get you to think and believe. But Jesus said that, you know. 
it just seems it's an incredible thing that if, if this is what the world is, is teaching you, then if you do the exact opposite, you'll probably be where God wants you to be. But that's the picture here. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice. No, so meekness, meekness. You know, meekness is, is, is many times talked about as being weakness, but it really is not. Uh, someone who is meek is someone who has kind of given up rights to themselves and given them to someone else. It's, it's, the word meek is used often for horses, like, uh, like a horse that has, been, uh, that has been trained, has given over rights to where they want to go, what they want to do to the rider, right? But a horse that is not meek is out of control, doing what he wants to do, if that makes sense. And if, if you are saying, this is kind of our culture, if you're saying, hey, listen, I'm not giving up rights to anybody over me, then you're not his and never will be. Isn't that something? Why? Because that's what it means. Lord, I'm yours. Right? Lord, I'm yours. So, so a horse that is, again, I remember <laughs> when I was a kid, I was around horses. I had a horse growing up. My grandfather, who was a little, little overindulgent, I was the oldest grandchild, and he was still real young. I think he was 45 when I was born. And so it was really ridiculous um, how indulgent he was. And so I had a horse by the time I was four or five, I don't remember. And he started training me to, to ride it. And, and, and there was a stubborn streak in my horse, although horse was fairly gentle, and, but there was a stubborn streak in, in my horse. But we had this other horse and her, her name was Dolly and she was out of control. Right, she was, I, you know, I'm not getting on Dolly. Hey, you want to get on Dolly? Because you'd walk in, you'd put, you know, put a saddle on, and she'd go nuts, you know. She'd kick the back wall of the barn out. It was incredible. The incredible destructive power of a horse out of control. If you've ever been around him, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, destructive power on, 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 the, on the barn and on the person who's in there. I mean, I'm serious. It's, if you've never been, you have no idea how dangerous it can be. But it is also, it's not near as big a deal now because of the machinery we have, but also the incredible power and ability that a horse can have that is meek, right? Who gives up strength, who gives up power, rights over to who they are, to a rider. Okay, that's incredible when that happens. So, so when you take a look at this definition of me, this is because if you truly are poor in spirit, that is bankrupt. That is, Lord, that's all I'm going to do is destroy things around me. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to turn it over to who you are. It's an amazing thing to think about, that word, that word meek. You know, every once in a while, and this happens quite a bit, in, in my entire life doing ministry, I bump into people who really do come to the end of themselves. And that's when I know that God's gonna do something incredible through them. 
I usually hear something like, you know, I'm, 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 tr- I'm, I'm tired of captaining my own ship. I gotta give this, I've gotta give this to someone else. And when they turn it over to the Lord, incredible things happen. And you begin to see strength and power and things start happening inside of them because it is remarkable. The number of single adults who have come to me and said, you know, I'm, 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 tired, of, I'm tired of dating, you know, under my plan. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to turn that one over to him. And so then our lives, not just to become a believer, but our lives as believers become a series of, Lord, this is not mine anymore, this is yours. And the more mature a believer is, is the more a believer who has walked those roads and said, God, I'm turning that one over to you, right? And as you learn him, you'll want to turn more and more over to him. In fact, there are probably things, if you're a newer believer, a younger believer, there are probably things in your life right now that he hasn't even told you about that you're not able to handle yet. Does that make sense? And then as you grow, he reveals like, wow, I had no idea. Isn't it amazing? That's why the journey, the journey of, of saying, Lord, I'm yours, is one that is, that is a longer journey. There's, when the, there's the time when you start by putting your faith and trust in him. But then after that, it, it's one that grows. And then you'll find strength to overthink, overcome things in your life that had their hooks in you that you never thought possible. You never thought it would be possible. You just kind of thought that was who you are or that was just the way you were going to be or that was just your lot in life, right? So definition of meek, right? Number two, how do you, how do you get there, right? How do you become meek? Well, you don't get there until you've understood the first two. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you don't see who you are, that is, I'm bankrupt, then you're not ever going to turn that over to him. If you still like captaining your own ship, then that, this is not ever going to be you. But if you've gotten to the point to where you say, okay, I, 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 I don't want to do this. Lord, I want you to do it. That's the, that's the start. And it's an incredible thing. It, it can be all ages. Uh, but it is, it is an incredible thing what happens. So how do you get there? Well, this is the passage I turn to because I really want to take some time here. Because, you know, a lot of times when we read the scriptures, we don't really read them. Because our eyes go straight to something that like, oh, that's cool. And we hang on to that. And we fail to see what it says. Well, let's take a look. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And I've quoted this most every week since we've been in the series. It says, come to me. Jesus' words, come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden. What is heavy laden? That's, that's like an animal that you're putting too much weight on. And it's just heavy laden. It's just like, you know, it's like I'm just about to buckle. So Jesus says, come to me, those. And he says, I'll give you rest. Whew. Boy, that sounds like a great deal. That's a great deal. 
And I don't want to be disrespectful to some, but I think most of this is an error. But then some would say, oh, Lord, I claim this in Jesus' name. I rest. But they don't read the rest of the passage. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What does it mean to be at rest or to find rest? Well, look at the next verse. Oh. Have you ever stopped long enough to think about what that means? Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That word gentle, if you have an old King James, that's for I am meek. And it says here lowly in heart. Really, it's humble. Meek and humble is what it really means. It says, and you will find rest, peace, contentment for that place in here. Interesting. Well, What's the yoke? All right, let's talk about it. Now, I'm going to use horses, but as somebody pointed out to me last night, a yoke was usually used for ox, but most of you you don't even know what an ox looks like, right? Much less try to identify with what a yoke is, right? It's the same thing as a horse collar. You say, okay, Jeff, I don't know what that is either. All right, I think you can get more of a picture. So we're going to go with the horse collar, but it's the same concept, okay? I just, anyway. So I remember I had a great-grandfather. Since I'm the oldest in my family, and my dad was the oldest in his family, and my grandfather was the, my grandmother was the oldest in her family, that I, I was, you know, I, I still remember several of my great-grandparents, and uh, in fact, my, I had a grandparent that just passed away about a year ago. And so, and you're going, wow, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, but I, I had this great grandfather and, and I, I'm starting to get this. I understand him, but he was kind of, he was an older guy, but he was kind of anti-technology. <laughs> I actually get that. Uh, I didn't back then because he had this little plot of land that's been, that, he, that he'd owned all his life. And he lived back in the times when you plowed it and took care of it by horses. Right? You didn't have tractors. And he was kind of an anti-tractor guy, which really sounds weird, doesn't it? But, but I was just old enough, seven, I think it was, to see him actually do it. And he had, it was some of the coolest machinery you've ever seen, is that it was, it was obviously all horsepower, right? And, uh, and you pulled this plow and there were these other little attachments and the wheels, as the wheels would turn, it would spin different things. It was fascinating, okay? And, uh, but what he would do was he would put these yokes, right, on, on his horses. And, um, and there were four of them. And, and so he'd put these, they were actually collars, but yoke is the same concept. And that would attach the horses to the machinery. And then he, he would sit on this little, little thing and it was kind of had a spring on it. And so it was really, it was amazing to watch. And, um, and these horses would, 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 would pull this plow or whatever the machinery he was doing to the field, Hera, whatever it is. And so, and so I remember thinking to myself that, 
a yoke is, uh, is, is one that you take on you to do the bidding and the work of the one who's in charge, who has the reins. Am I making sense? So take my yoke on you. Number one, it's voluntary, right? It's voluntary. God's not going to force himself on anyone. But it is an incredible picture of saying, I'm giving up rights to who I am, Lord, for what you want, not what I want. You, you see what he's trying to say there. Most people totally miss. They, oh, rest. You'll find rest for your souls. And you totally miss what he says you need to do in order to get there. Take my yoke on you, and I promise you, you'll find rest. If you don't think so, then keep doing your plan. But if you've gotten to the point where you're ready to give me the control of it, you're going to find something incredible. Are you hearing what he's saying there? It's the best definition of the word meek that there is. Really, it's power under control. Right? It's power under his control. That's the best definition you can see of it. He goes on to say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You're going to find rest. I promise you, you're going to find what you're looking for, but you're going to have to trust me. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why? A lot of times in our culture, we don't pick up on these things. Have you ever wondered why he's called the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, you have to understand what the word Lord means. And I found most people don't even know what that means. It's just something that you call him. Well, the word Lord means master. Okay? It means someone that you are submitted to or someone that you belong to. Lord. Right? Which is the term at the time, which really goes against the grain here. You know, and I just want you to hear, especially in our culture, we got churches full of people who want God's blessings, but they will not give up control of who they are to who the Lord is. Does that make sense? And then we wonder why we don't find rest. Well, I claimed it in Jesus' name. I don't care what you claimed. Look at what the verse says, right? Take my yoke on you. In other words, Lord, it's yours. It's not about me anymore. Lord, it's about you. It's not about what I want, Lord. It's about what you want. And it becomes a series. First of all, it becomes a salvation. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've actually said, Lord, I'm yours? I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer because it doesn't say that in the Bible. I'm not asking you if you came forward. I'm not even asking if you were baptized. Those are all good things. The question is, has there ever been a time in your life you said, Lord, I am yours. You've really kind of come to the end of yourself. Lord, I don't, wanna, I don't want to do those things anymore. Lord, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. That doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly, and there's no way you can do it totally because so much you don't even understand. But that first step, the Bible calls salvation. Lord, I'm yours. And it's voluntary because the thought here is take my yoke on you. It's not forced. Interesting, huh? When I was 21 years old, I'd been in church all my life. I could take a Jesus pop quiz and pass. I was a Bible Belt kid that could answer any question you wanted me to answer. I could share with you the plan of salvation. 
because they'd been drilled into my head. But I was lost. I'd never said, Lord, it's yours. Never. Interesting, huh? These Beatitudes are powerful. And usually, the person that comes to the point in their life where they come to the end of themselves are the ones that say, Lord, it's yours. Right? But don't, don't dismiss children. Don't withhold children from putting their faith and trust in Christ. To me, it's easier for them. Right? Because the faith of a child. Therefore, if they can understand who Christ is, they can do that. How do you know that, Jeff? Well, my wife. I think she was six. She knows that God saved her that day. Now, she had a lot to learn along the way. So don't dismiss it just because you were a child or a teenager or a middle schooler or whatever. So I'm not saying those things. But what I am saying to you, this is what it says and this is what it is. To me, it becomes an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing because most people think, well, they'll bargain with God and Lord, I'll, Lord, I'll trust you, but you have to do this and this. That's not the way it works. There's no bargaining. It's a total takeover, right? It's a total takeover. And if you're not there yet, it's like I like to say, you keep doing your plan. And when your heart's ready, it'll be obvious. It's like when somebody comes in, well, I'm not sure if I want to. You're not ready. If you still have that, I'm not sure, you're not to the end of yourself yet. If you have ears to hear, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? If you don't have ears, there isn't anything I can say to get you there. So as you think on these things, when I think on what it means to give him control, there are two or three things that the Bible talks about that have a tendency to control people's lives. And number one are relationships with others. Number two are a person's finances. Have you ever come to the point in time in your life? Lord, they're, they're not mine, they're yours. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God and money. Now you understand it. Number one, I want you to understand, money is a cruel taskmaster. It causes you so much pain and struggle, no matter if you have a whole bunch of it, unless it's his. If it becomes his, then the pressure's off. It's an amazing thing. It's, it's, it, when you talk about control, the other one is, is the sexual relationship. I can't tell you, it's those three things that relationships with others, sexual relationship, and finances that seem to control people more than any other single thing, other than like chemicals, you know, uh, what I call synthetic fixes, like alcohol, drugs, or something else. They, they just seem to control people. And it keeps them from being able to say, Lord, I'm yours. And you know, it's an amazing thing. I've got to move on. Number three is barriers. What is it that keeps us from doing this? And I want you to know that this, is that this will either keep you from becoming a believer in Christ or it will keep you from the rest that God wants you to experience. Number one is just simple pride. I want to keep giving the orders. I'm in control of me. I've created Jeff World. And I am in charge of Jeff World. 
And I'd love to have God come in and bless Jeff World, but I'm not giving him control of Jeff World. Are you hearing me? Again, if you're still there, you will never become a believer in Christ until a person understands like, like, the, like the tax collector did. The Pharisee, unless this person is broken to the point of understanding who they are, they will never come to know God. It doesn't matter how religious they may be like the Pharisee was. The tax collector, tax collector, he was morally bankrupt. I mean, awful. And yet he came to God and said, God, I've got nobody but you. And God says, if you come to him, he will not turn you away, which I find incredible. And that's why they call it good news, right? Okay, that's hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's something. Do you under, are you hearing me? It's good stuff when you truly think about what this really means. And yet pride will keep us because we want to keep giving the orders in Jeff world. You can just fill your name in there, right? Susie world, Nancy world, Mark world, whatever your name is. Number two is guilt. You know, I don't know, there's something, there's something about this whole thought of, of, of guilt is that keeps us from, from, from going this direction. It says, in, uh, it, it says in Psalm chapter 40, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain uh, your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your, and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number and my iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails me. You know, David finally got a good look at who he really was. Do you see what he said about himself? He said, my own sin, the number of my own sin outnumbers the hairs on my head. I was going to make a bald joke there, but I decided not to. <laughs> All right? So, and David said he couldn't even see. He'd become so overwhelmed with seeing himself for who he really was. It's an incredible thing. Number three is fear. Just simple fear. That'll keep you from going this direction. What do you mean? Well, number four is doubt. Fear and doubt are twins, okay? Fear and doubt are related to one another. Fear is, if I turn control over to God, he might make me be a missionary in Africa, <laughs> right? And live in a hut with the snakes that crawl in. I just don't think I could do that. Because we have this whacked out feeling that if, any, if, if a God who truly does love you is in control, then things are gonna start happening that I don't like. And that really is, that long, that's pride. Pride's thrown in there too, it's a fear. You know, if I, if I give God my finances, oh, what's he going to do to them? Oh, you're still owning them, right? But you'll be amazed how he blesses them. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter if you have a whole lot. It won't control you anymore. It's an incredible thing. But boy, it's a step. It's a step overcoming fear, doubt, guilt, pride. But it means following him. You see, I told you in this series to strap on, it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. What does it mean, strength to overcome? Well, first you have to surrender, right? And give your rights over to the one who's got your best interest in mind. 
you would want what he wants if you had sense enough to want it. Yeah. Write that down and think about it later. Right? Because a lot of times the things we want for ourselves, once we ever get there, they never are what we thought they were going to be. If you've ever gotten there and you've given up on that plan saying, Lord, I want your plan, there's where you're going to find the rest and the peace and contentment that you've been looking for. And it truly is a remarkable thing when it overcomes a person's life. I've seen it. I've seen it. Dozens and dozens and dozens of times. So Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, continue in my word, then you truly are disciples. And then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, Jeff, I thought you said that how can, how can a yoke lead to freedom? Well, see, it's not always easy to explain, but it's the great paradox of the scriptures. Right? In order to gain your life, you have to... Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? So in order to experience freedom, John 8, 32, take my yoke, Jesus said on you, and you'll have freedom like you never thought. I don't know. It's a remarkable thing to think about. Remarkable, remarkable. So fear and then doubt, right? Doubt is a, is a culprit, obviously, uh, that is thrown at you. And uh, I don't have time to read it, but take a look at Mark 9, 21 through 24, and you can read about that one. Now, as I close today, because I, I, I want to be done on time, I'm trying real hard to do that. That's never easy for me. Um, but I want to I give you some results that you will begin to see in your life when meekness starts to, starts to happen. Uh, because the Scripture says that those that become His— become his children. Jeff, I thought you said that God, it becomes, we become his children. Well, what's all this about a yoke? Well, don't miss this. In reality, children are underneath your authority. If you have children that are small children, for the most part, they have to do what you say. Unless you live in our country, right? Because they are underneath your authority. So when you become his You're basically saying, Lord, I'm yours. But with that comes that he becomes your father, Lord and father. And so you have this picture of uh, number one is that benefits is that they become God's own. Those who are meek become God's own. That's an incredible thing. Number two is that his strength will begin to work in you. Because those who see that they're poor in spirit, they're repentant over it, and they turn their life and will over to him, he begins to strengthen them. And that's the whole thought of this series, the strength to overcome. And it comes in a different way than you ever dreamed it would. But you have to take my word for it if you've never been there before. Things began changing in my life, and I began to have strength and power over things I hadn't, I'd never had over things in my life. And I almost kind of surprised myself. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. And you know it wasn't you, 
Because you remember what it used to be like before you gave him the reins. You think, I could have never said no to that. That always ruled me. So you'll, you'll begin to see it happening if you say, Lord, it's yours. Number three, stress and pressure will begin to ease up. You only get stressed over things that you don't have any control over. Well, tell me, when you turn it over to him, what, what is it in this life that he can't control? And if you are in a situation that seems like this seems out of control, it's not. He just has you in it to teach you something. And you trust him that he's going to teach you. And say, Lord, I want to learn because I don't want to do this one again. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever been there. All right? Number four, and this is perhaps the greatest, hope. Hope. Hope returns. You know, probably a good many of you, but there are a good many of you that have. You ever been in your life where you've been hopeless? I mean, you've really been there. The life, this life stinks, basically, is the thought. When you get to this point, when hope springs eternal, as the scripture says, you'll be amazed. It's what you've been looking for, I'm telling you. It's the great picture of the scriptures. That's what makes these beatitudes so incredible. But most people can read them in, in 10 seconds and say, oh, what does that mean? But that's what Jesus meant to do, is the secret of it is found for those who will seek because the Bible makes a promise to those who seek what? They're going to find. So as we keep walking through these, we talk about pure in heart. What does that even mean? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? How do you create that hunger? And hunger is an amazing thing, isn't it? Right? The more you eat, the hungrier you get, right? I, I don't have any experience in that, but people have told me <laughs> that that happens. You know, don't know anything about it. So I'm looking at the next few weeks, guys, these are life-changing principles, not because I'm sharing them, but because they're Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's Beatitude, and, uh, and it's there for those who want to know about it.